is the reality that they're going to get exercise, they're going to allow to build their independence, they may socialize. You know, it might just be a quiet moment for them in a busy day. You know, all of these things are beneficial. And we weigh those things and we err on the side of this visceral response. But, uh, you know, so you can guess where I'm, I go. I, you know, I say in the book, you know, if possible, you should let your kid walk to school. But, but this is the big part that comes back to intuition thing. You've got to do what's right for you, what works for you, right? And, and you know your child and, and, uh, and you know what's going to work in your life. life. Welcome to Imperfect Parenting. I'm Ariel Green Anderson. My name is Matt Anderson. We're bringing you raw, real, and unfiltered stories from around the world. Are you an IP parent? Hey, it's Ariel Anderson, and here we are. You just heard uh, Timothy Caulfield. He is the author of many books, but the book we're going to talk about today is Your Day, Your Way, The Fact and Fiction Behind Your Daily Decisions. And uh, it's a fantastic book, and it's touching on so many things and from our lives, decisions that you're making every day, and some of the facts behind it, some myth busters, some sweet moments and moments of going a little bit deeper in you know real life and what uh what family can really be like for example you know uh for example in the vignette of you know spending time with kids you know timothy goes a little deeper into you know where where things can really be and where they are now and uh i had a lot of fun with him and I know that you're going to enjoy it too. But before we dump, jump in, you know, I always like to say thank you. Thank you for being out there for uh, around the world, sharing your story. And uh, just by showing up, you're sharing the story, your energy, and, and, some, and maybe you'll even be on the podcast one day. Who knows? Talking about what you've been creating, how you've been managing inside your family, and what your path is, because that's where the health is, when path, purpose, and health intersect and you have a vital life and lots of energy, no matter your age. Cause I'm here, I am 50 and I've got a four and a half year old and I have loads of energy because I'm on my path with you and the midlife pregnancy program. And uh, it makes such a difference. And so having uh, that space together now and um, sharing things, I think today is one of gonna be one of those sharing podcasts for sure for you because there's so much here. If there's something you want to share with somebody, just pass it on. And um, it's great to have you here. I know I keep saying that because it is great to have you here. And 2020 was and 2021, as you've heard me say, is going to be about it, weaving in more fun. And as Tim says, you know, shutting off the noise, quieting the noise. And uh, that's such a big theme coming into 2021 is making decisions based on fact, your own feeling, your own family, and what makes sense for you because uh, everything is so polarized and crazy right now. But here, right now, I cannot wait to share this conversation with you um, because Tim and I had such a great time talking between Canada and Northern California. There was just this vibe and we were having a good time connecting, had similar moments, uh, you know, in our family and just aligning and traveling. And, you know, I love that. I love when there's that vibe between uh, someone, even virtually across the wires and the ether space, what it is. So here we go. This is 
Tim or Timothy Caulfield and myself, and here we go. Hey, before we dive in, I just want to say a real quick that we are going to have a giveaway for this book. So be sure and check out Instagram, IP underscore parenting, and see when I have posts up about your day, your way, and any related topics around that. And you comment and you will be uh, in the drawing for one of these books. So I'm pretty excited about that and uh, enjoy the conversation. Well, thank you so much for coming today. And, you know, I, I actually was, oh, it's New Year's Eve and I have, I have somebody I know, I did the same there. thing. I did the same did thing. Did Karen do that are. to you? <laughs> oh, well, wow. it's fine, right? It's not, it's not a hassle. It's just a yeah, but thing. it's also, I think that, you know, your, your book makes sense for the sort of wrapping up and the, and the start launching into a new year because you're getting people thinking about, you know, how are you spending your day and what is real and what isn't real and, you know, how yeah. are you making decisions? It, it kind of really fits in with this time. So, so we're making it work. <laughs> okay, excellent, excellent. <laughs> so I would love for you just to start. Um, I, I will be honest, I, I try not to Google somebody too much. It's sort of like a, a preview for a movie. I like to get really excited, just get tidbits to get excited, but then I want to be as curious as our listener. So I know some bits, but I would love for you to tell our audience a little bit about what brought you to today um, okay. as far as your journey and you know you told us where you know you're in Canada and Alberta uh, what else do we need to know before we dive into the book my name is Timothy Caulfield and and I'm a Canada research chair in health law and policy uh, here in Canada and I'm in Alberta and and I've spent most of my life uh, doing research on on science and, and health policy. And I've become fascinated with how health and science is represented in, in the public sphere. So, you know, I've done empirical research on this, you know, I've, I've worked with committees and, um, uh, and national policy institutes, uh, but it became very clear uh, to me in this journey, uh, the degree to which information can get twisted uh, the degree to which there can be ideology that that plays a role in, in what we hear. Um, and, and of course, we all have our own cognitive biases that we we bring to the table. So uh, this is, you know, led me on this journey, I guess, <laughs> that to do more and more work in the public sphere, you know, do more and more work with the media uh, and to write, start writing books for the for the the general public. And I also had the opportunity to to uh, and I still do uh, work in this area to do a you know documentary TV series that uh, that really tackled a lot of these of these kinds uh, of issues. And, and my current book, uh, my current book really is uh, about uh, those daily decisions that we make every day. So you know it's funny because I, I I I look at the issue of misinformation and twisted science from the big you know these big topics like you know vaccination really good example uh climate change uh gmos uh and then i thought you know the, all of these cultural forces they have an impact on the decisions that we make every day you know big and small decisions uh and so i thought you know it would be really fun to write a book like that about those things and and the gimmick in the book uh your day, your way is the name of the book. The gimmick in the book is it takes place over a typical day. And I analyze the decisions you know, that we make. And, and yes, I try to look at what the evidence says about each decision and, 
uh, and sort of point you in the right direction. But it really isn't, this is what you should do. It's more, it's more, you know, this is what the evidence actually says about these decisions. And, and these are the cultural forces that are, are impacting all of us, you know, myself included, <laughs> they impact all of us. So I look at all, as I said, decisions big and small from, you know, when to wake up to, to breakfast to toilet seat up or down that that one generated <laughs> a lot of debate. But also I look at some, you know, some pretty serious parenting decisions and, and sort of try to unpack what the decisions say around that. And, and the goal and the goal really is to, to suggest that there is this this easier way forward. You know, we can ignore so much of the noise. And I think I get the sense that this is very relevant to your work, what you're interested in. Uh, you can really ignore the noise and, and there is this easier way for, forward that is often, not always, often more evidence-based. So how's that for uh, a little bit of a, of a warm up? <laughs> I love it. Well, because, you know, I, I want to, I'm holding up your book and I want to show people chapter by chapter, which of course you can't do on a podcast. I, I always do that. Like, <laughs> see this guys? No. So it's great that you created that visual and that experience because uh, that's what I loved. It was sort of fun and a, a, there was a bit of story and, you know, you can connect with uh, the topics, you know, like the toilet seat up toilet seat down as as well as you're you're doing a bit of myth busters in there like mm -hmm. you know this is actually what the stats are guys you know five second rule well <laughs> there's a little more to it than just you know a sticky you know a, a bit of jello falling on the floor versus you know a, a donut or whatever and but we are making these decisions all the time you know whether a parent or not a parent and so many people, so many of us, we, we torture ourselves with, especially as a parent, am I making the right choice? And even if it's a, you know, there's so many, as you said, so many decisions during the day. And I love that you really were breaking it down and then expanding it. So I would be looking at a, you know, one of the headings and be thinking, okay, I'm really curious what's going to happen here, <laughs> what's going to unfold. And each time it was a little bit different, which I also like, I, I uh, it's great when there's sort of you feel a formula in there a little bit, you know, that we're going to get a little bit of this and that as far as information and and uh, connecting to my life. But at the same time, uh, it's not the same every time, which I appreciate as that person who doesn't like to same, take the same route to work every day if I were going to work. And so keep the adventure sort of keep us on our toes, which I appreciated. Uh, thank lot. you. And, and I really did try, as you know, uh, from reading the book, I, I really tried to use different topics to kind of highlight some different things sometimes sometimes there isn't a definitive answer right you know the evidence is way messier than often portrayed in the in the popular press and so often you know in popular culture there'll be this definitive answer you must do this well you know you look at the evidence and it's actually much less clear and this happens with in parenting all the time yes and and so the answer there is not necessarily this is what you should do it's you know what you can relax, you know, you can relax. What you're doing is probably fine. Um, and uh, that's often the case, as you know, in, in parenting, right? Uh, the evidence is really messy. Uh, so, and the other thing, of course, is that we live in this world that, again, a big theme in the book, that, that invites us to be fearful about so many things, right? Yes. It invites us to be fearful, be, you know, for market reasons, for perhaps there is an ideological reason for it. Perhaps it's just a, a systemic reason. And by that, I mean, you know, social media, for example, is just constructed to, to freak us out, <laughs> uh, but, but, but also to create this constant social comparison, right? And, 
And, and we know from, and there's a pretty good body of research on this, that that can have a detrimental impact on, on our decision-making. It can stress us out. Uh, and, and it can really make us feel like we're not doing the right thing. And when in, in reality, you know, again, you can, you can generally relax. Yeah, I, I think that um, there's, we lose a lot of energy to doing the right thing. And, you know, I always talk about we all, it's not just our cultural, what the right thing is, or even the neighborhood, but each, each of us individually have our own sort of sphere or culture and, and how we're going to make a decision really is based on so many things. And then you add, you know, a partner to that and you add kids to that and you add friends and, you know, whatever other pieces. There's so many factors that ultimately I, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of research. I don't know how you feel about intuition. I, I'm a person who likes both. I want to, I've got one eye open to what is, what's the science behind this. I'm going to crunch all the numbers. And the other part of me is, and in the end, I need to test my gut or intuition. And I'm constantly saying, you kind of got to do both. You got to gather the info and then assess it with your body, you know? So, you know. I, I think that's a good balance. And, and um, you know, I, I touch on that, for example, in the uh, letting your kids walk to school, right? Um, you know, I, I do outline what the evidence says and I can come back to that. But at the <laughs> end, I, I say, it's it's got to be right for you, right? You, it has to, you know, it has to, fit with with how you your worldview and and your parenting style um and so they're they're really you know i i i, I do come to a conclusion on that in that one but 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 there but, but it does have to fit with i guess what you would call your in, intuition but really with what works in your life you know and that's that's exactly and there's a lot of other examples uh, of that you know the standing desk one is uh, when i use my because i'm sort of poke fun at myself on that one because i was all in on standing desks which, by the way, isn't really on brand for me. I'm not someone who normally embraces a wellness, a, a wellness trend quickly. But the evidence that again is way messier than reality is. And the bottom line of if a standing desk works for you, and it, fine, right? That's awesome. Knock yourself out, but it's not a magical fix for anything. Uh, but back back to the letting your kids walk to school. I think it's a really good example, right? It's a really good example because um, there is this this option of, of driving your kid to school that is largely, not entirely, and I know people have complex lives and, you know, there may be a lot of reasons for doing it, uh, but it's largely driven by myth and, and a fear created by our culture, whether you're talking about pop culture, you know, TV shows, or whether you're talking about social comparison, again, on social media, but then there's also this parental loop, right? This, this pressure loop, you know, your neighbors are driving, so that means you have to drive, and if you don't drive, you're you're being negligent. You know, as I point out in my book, the number one reason parents drive their kids to school, and again, very complex, it's hard to, I should be careful not to overstate this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Go for it. The research does say though, the number one reason parents drive their kids to school is fear of strangers, right? Stranger danger, the white van fear, right? Um, and, and that's because it's just this horrific thing that could happen to your kid. It goes back to your intuition thing, right? Um, I'm a parent. I got four kids, by the way. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, it's horrific and, and very visceral, uh, even though the chance of that happening is almost zero. It's, it, it's so fantastically rare, as I say in the book, that you could put it in the category is not going to happen in any kind of realistic statistical sense, right? But it's so horrific that when it does happen, it's a headline. We remember the headline. There's TV shows like Criminal Minds and CSI that make it sounds like there's all these people. Not the reality. Best interest for your child, right? But what does the, 
the evidence actually say about what is in the best interest of your child? I'm so glad you brought that up because, uh, yeah, it, it's so there's so many pieces in, in your book and what you're saying that are just empowering parents, which is so important, is that feeling that uh, it's, okay, it's okay to it. You have to use your brain, <laughs> your brain and your body, whatever it is, use all that you have to make your own assessment and decision for your family. Because as you said, there's so many pressures externally of what you should do. My least favorite, you know, four letter word, non four letter word, uh, <laughs> because that's just, you know, it's, it's out in the world all the time, but in parenting, there's so much of that, you know, how the, you know, your neighbors, like you said, are driving them to, you know, to uh, school and, you know, what they're driving and, you know, whatever, there's so many different factors, what's in the lunchbox, but, you know, just a simple decision, it, it can be life, life transformative for your kids, because as you said, they're becoming more independent, they're gaining confidence because they're also having to use their own um, senses about, you know, stranger danger or just being in the world. And like you said, that alone time is so important because we know that from traveling, right? If you're sitting at a cafe by yourself for a few minutes versus just being with the family or your partner, you have a totally different experience of the world and yourself. And that's a really powerful gift to give. So um, one of my very favorite things in the whole world, by the way, you just said, sitting in a cafe in a cool city like Prague by myself, <laughs> writing, you know, and that's valuable. It's not selfish. It's not, you know, it's, it's an important, it's important to the human experience and it's important from the beginning, you know, it's important to the kids and, and there's good evidence to back that up. Right. And especially in our chaotic information environment that we have, we have right now, you know, the point you make about, about parental guilt, and I'm sure this comes up a lot in your world, <laughs> a lot. It's a huge issue. It's a real issue. I mean, it's a real issue. Um, and there's been interesting research that talks about, you know, just one example, the, the impact of, of celebrity parental blogging, you know, and, they, and, and Instagram and, you know, Twitter, that has an impact. And what's interesting is, um, you know, I, I'm, I know the research. I'm a researcher. I look at the data. My wife is a family physician. My partner is a family physician. And despite that, we're impacted by this noise. <laughs> you know, you can't stop it. We're social animals, right? So it's always, I think, really good to just to check yourself a little bit and to check, you know, uh, I, you know we need to do it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah, even when we know, you know, you know to yeah. meditate or you know to take that walk or to don't look at too much social media when you're feeling a certain way, but you know, it just happens and the feelings happen, <laughs> the reaction or whatever. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, not to get off track, but I just am curious because you mentioned four kids and um, taking the time. That's, that's one of the things, especially as a creative, you know, you're, you're doing, you have your work and you're creating and you're writing. How do you manage to do that inside of the family scenario? You know, if you're traveling or just daily life, you've got, quite a clam there. Uh, do, do you encourage it? How do you encourage it in your family for your kids and for yourself? How do you reflect it or create it or echo it out? What's your, it, it's a really good question secret? because, uh, you know, I, as you know, in the book, I have a, I have a, a chapter on, on, on time with your kids. Right. And, uh, which is one of the number one as, you know, components of guilt that parents feel, you know, they feel they don't spend enough time with their kids. Um, and that, that was one of the more, more emotional vignettes, by the way, 
like reading that and just feeling like, cause you got really real there. Yes, I you did. Know? <laughs> and then you kind of keep going. I was like, thank you for that. I always appreciate that authenticity, you know? It, it is, it, that. it was very a real topic for me for exactly what you just talked, touched on is, I, you know, I, I'm extremely busy. I travel a ton, right? Not this year, <laughs> not this year, right. but usually, uh, usually. And um, you have that burning guilt, right? You have that burning guilt. And so I had that aspect to it, uh, to why I was interested in this topic. And the other is my upbringing was very unconventional. You know, I had, I won't say my parents were absent. You know, I, my, as I say in the book, I know my mom loved me, but pretty absent, you know, <laughs> in the scheme of things, as I joke, and they're not getting any parenting awards, as I said in my, in the book, and both of them have passed. Um, but I think it's really important to, to reflect on your own experiences, both as a parent and, 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 and growing up to get a sense of, you know, what, why do you feel this way about parenting? But the evidence is actually, if you actually unpack the evidence, it's fascinating around, around how much time we spend with our kids. So yes, it's one of the number, if you believe the research, and it's hard to study all this well, as you know, I'm sure you've had other experts on who've said this too. It's hard to study this well, but, but parent, it's the, one of the number one sources of guilt for parents, for sure. I don't spend enough time with my kids. Number two, it stresses parents out, particularly, um, we still live in a, in a society that's not equitable, particularly mothers, right? Um, uh, but the reality is, the reality is we spend more time with our kids now than ever before, right? You know, then my generation, I'm sure you've had other people say this in the, in the past, you know, dad spent like some, I think it was like 15 minutes a day with kids. Like, uh, by the way, I felt that for sure. <laughs> that, that was a good day in my world. Um, so yeah, 15 minutes a day with our kids. Uh, it, so we're spending more time than ever with our kids now. Um, probably more quality time with our kids than, than ever before, you know, despite this burning guilt. Um, and also, and I think this is really, and again, hard to study this well, and the research is actually very, very complex. And I actually, in this chapter, I talked to as many experts as I could on this research, researchers on this, researchers on this topic. It's also, there's not that much evidence to support the idea that more is always better. You know, this idea of the more and more and more. But what's fascinating, we've touched on this already, is pop the message from pop culture, from social media, from, uh, from really almost every source is more is always better, right? If you're not spending as much time as humanly possible with your kids, you're some, some, doing something wrong. And that's not true. <laughs> it's just not true, right? Now, I want to be really careful about my message here. I'm not saying that spending time with, with your kids isn't important. It obviously is. And there's evidence to back that up, especially if it's quality time, you know, things like reading to your kids and you know, on and on. Uh, and in addition to that, I'm not talking about being neglectful, right? You can, and, and the other important thing is that quality moments, and you've probably brought this up often on, on this podcast, they come in different times. You know, they, just in your day, a quality moment can happen. It's this idea that we have to construct more and more and more time with our kids. And that's just that we have to live our lives. And the other thing is not to feel guilty about, you know, doing your career and doing something that you love uh, uh, that you shouldn't necessarily feel guilty about that. So I, I, you know, that's really what I try to map out again, you know, in that chapter is, you know, the, it's not more and more and more is always better. Relax, you know, do what you can. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it's, uh, as you said, <laughs> what do you say? Love your kid. I mean, I think the thing is you love your kids. You do the best you can, right? Exactly. And I think that almost every study, uh, coincidentally, they says that. It says that, you know? Anyway. 
Well, no, it's true. And it's often, as you said, it's not even the, the things that you, people will create an experience, especially around the holidays. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that Matthew Broderick and Danny DeVito film about the holidays. It's completely insane. But there's, Matthew Broderick has like this fixation of all the experiences he's going to create for the family around the holidays. And it just starts to stress out the whole family because he's got this advent calendar of activities like ice skating. We're going to have an experience. And it's so overstressful to get those things done each day versus, like you said, sitting in front of a fire, reading books together in, and drinking hot cocoa or whatever. And those, those little experiences like cooking a meal together or sometimes even organizing. My daughter will say, oh, I love she, I know when she's feeling connected, she's four and a half. She'll say, I love you, mommy, after we just organized laundry. But I know it's because we had a connected time. We were chatting and, together. you know. So. Okay, here's a horrible cliche, a horrible <laughs> cliche. This is a cliche moment. It's like a, from a bad movie. You know, last night we were doing, last night, you know, we're doing the dishes. We had the music blaring, start dancing. We're doing the dishes. This wasn't planned. And it was just this great moment, right? Uh, and you know, that's, that's the way I think these things unfold, right? And, and there's so much pressure to create these perfect moments. You know, social media, there's, again, research to back this up. You know, social media is part of that. You know, you get these vignettes that people send, you know, sitting on the beach and they're, you know, no way, right? And they're perfectly <laughs> curated. And, um, but that's not life. No, it, it really isn't. <laughs> not all the time. And, and definitely, I always am constantly saying, you know, parent, people tell you what parenting is like. And I always got irritated with people who'd say, you don't know until you're there. But it's true because it's, <laughs> it, there's so many layers, you know, sort of inception type layers that you can't possibly imagine until your version of parenting happens. Um, I'm curious because you, you mentioned a little bit and we're going to come back to your book, but because we're in the parenting realm, you mentioned a little bit how it, uh, it's not always, we're talking about the roles inside of of families. And I so I, I will tell you, I so rarely get to have a man on the podcast, not because I don't have that intention, but because most of them are afraid to say too much <laughs> without getting <laughs> reamed by their partner or wives. So I'm, I'm thankful. I know you have your book, but I'm also thankful for your, you know, your input to enlighten us. But how do you notice inside of your family? Do you do you feel a difference in how your I don't know who is the primary caregiver, but you said that you you know, you're traveling a lot. So I'm making the assumption it might be your wife sometimes um, or a partner. And uh, I'm just wondering if you if you feel it or notice it as far as how is it easier for you to disengage and have your your time to do what you need to do versus your your wife? If you see that it's harder, I mean, I, we notice it inside of our partnership, if I'm just going to put it out there that uh I feel more guilt often and, and there's that I'm the default. If there's anything going on, I'm, I'm often the default. And, you know, if everybody's sick, mommy still has to make everything happen. That cliche as well, which I vowed would never happen as an independent person that traveled the world and skydiving as well, by the way, because um, <laughs> I read your chapter, but uh, my husband will even say it. He's like, he just get, he can stop in the middle of a mess and just go for a bike ride. Whereas I need to sort the mess a little bit more before you know walking out the door and the kids will you know come to me mm -mm, you know mommy I, I don't care if you're sick just get me soup and wipe my butt or whatever it is yes so how do you guys to see all it the here? above <laughs> yes to all the above you just described our house okay, now, okay. our kids are, our kids are older than your kids but 
but yes, you know, when they're sick, it's mom. You know, I have this memory my, of my daughter. She, uh, she's now, he just did a, sm- a tiny dot violin, you guys. I a violin. She's playing, she's playing violin. <laughs> she's at a violin concert. Okay. And, um, and she's playing beautifully. And, and this was when she was quite young. I'm going to say she was like five, you know, like, so she's playing something very simple. And she's on the stage and she freezes, you know, she forgets <gasps> something and she just goes, mommy. <laughs> but I just thought that was like encapsulated in her mind. That's the safe spot. You know, that's the same place. That's the helper. It was this perfect summary of the role her mom played in her life. Right. And that, and that's, that's been the same throughout. And I feel like I'm, you know, pretty involved that I could bring my kids in here right now. And I think they would back me up on this, uh, but for sure. And, and again, everything that you said, I, I agree with, and again, there's research to back this up, as you probably know, right? You know, women generally feel more guilty about the time they spend with their kids. They feel more time pressure. They do spend more time. There's been a lot of consistent research on this, right? They do spend more time with their kids, even in families that strive to make it more, more equitable. And they also do more of the heavy lifting. Again, you, this is no surprise. Right? It's gotten better. <laughs> it has changed. If you look at the data over the years, right? It definitely has gotten better, but this is... For sure, and and the the guilt thing I think is really true. I think my wife would back me back back me up on this. In fact, she's a family physician, very very busy. Um, in fact, today she's in a respiratory clinic. She was you know so she's all PP you know so the serious stuff right. For sure, she feels more guilty and finds it more difficult to disengage and more quick to respond to any need that my my kids have. So you know I think we have a long way to go, but it it really does also show I think the impact of you know culture still has even when we strive you know to 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 be more realistic about about and more equitable about about our roles yeah and i i think just everything you said about the society and you know it it does impact and i think part of that is is we whoever the the person is that's feeling this because i know that there's some men who are the primary caregivers and they feel a lot of that too and they have that role but it I think it's also about us, you know, we, we can blame it on society and the situation. And there are definitely times when I blame my husband, like, you just left, you know, <laughs> but it's, I know that it's about us as well. We have to shift it. We have to, you know, I had a guest on Heather Torres in the summer and she, I was just so blown away. Cause I thought, yeah, that's how the intention that a lot of us have as, as moms is, you know, to stop apologizing when your kid comes in, in the middle of zoom, stop apologizing for the fact that they're there because you're a parent, you know, and, uh, and involving them a little bit more into what, um, what your purpose and your path is. If you are feeling that and I have friends who don't at all talk to their kids that way. And again, that's a, that's a family value. And, you know, everybody makes their own choice and every kid is different, of course, but I have noticed that involving my daughter in, you know, I also work with, uh, you know, women's health, imperfect parenting, but also it's focused on, you know, health and entrepreneurship and, you know, being on your path is important, a part of that and engaging with her about that. You know, I'm going to have a call, you know, we're going to talk about, it's going to help parents, you know, and, or we're going to, we're doing midlife pregnancy. I'm having a call with this lady to, you know, help clarify what's important for her, for her family. And now she engages differently with me disengaging. (laughs) Not every time, but you know, as a, as far as a four year, four and a half year old can go, I keep saying four and a half because she always corrects me. Four and a half, mommy. I remember those days. <laughs> Don't you remember? Do I do that now? Fifty and a half. Well, not really. 
maybe. No, um, but no, I, I mean, it, it, opening the door that the kids can actually take in more information and process more than we sometimes think they can. And that, that it actually helps for them to understand what's going on versus, you know, I'm disappearing into my office for four hours and not saying much about it, which I'm sure you don't do, but like people do. <laughs> so you know, it does I, help. I, I do think it's changing, you know, because I rem also remember, you know, with, with, in my, when I was growing up, there was a much greater divide, I think, between and I actually, I actually had this in my book and it was taken out, this, this oh. part of it. So yeah, it's a nice opportunity to talk about this. So Yay, you. that was going to be my next question. What yeah. is it? So that's perfect. Yeah, there, there, is, there was this divide, right? Where there were, you know, I touch on it very briefly in the book, where there was the, the parent world, right? You know, their parents had their own world, their own domain, right? And their own parties, their own friends, their own way of dressing and talking and interests and the kid world. And I think, I think that's broken down and I think it's healthy that it has broken down, right? Much more so, right? Um, and, and you're seeing that reflected in, in you know, mutual, uh, now I have older kids, right? And we have similar interests. It wasn't like that when I grew up. You know, we have, you know, we read the same, you know, we're, and, and we watch the same movies. And uh, so I think that that's been a really healthy evolution. And, um, you know, it really has taken away from the, you know, that uh, a, a approach to parenting that was hundreds of years in length, right? This, you know, of, of this divided world that, you know, that little kids were different. And of course you can go back in time when little kids were treated like little, little adults, which is also wrong, right? right. But, but we do have this really interesting evolution in which I think is healthy. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's the, the kids table. I, I was actually got sucked into a Netflix series last night where it was from the olden days, a couple hundred years ago. And and they were showing two different families that the way that they were uh, doing people, they had guests over to the house and they were shocked that the kids were at the table with them having conversation, whatever level, they were all different ages of kids and they were contributing in their own way. They were like, Oh, why are the, you know, why are your kids at the table? Well, that's just how we do things. And, and, you know, I remember being at the kids table and there's still the kids yeah. table sometimes at holidays, you know, in that moment of graduating into the adult world, you know? So yeah, I think I, I totally agree with you. And I, it is an important moment in time in that way, as you were describing the, having some similar interests, it's that sort of friend parenting. My daughter says all the time, you're my friend and my mom, you know, and, and I appreciate that, you know, but she knows that there's going to be lines that mom puts up that a friend wouldn't, right? <laughs> you know, the boundaries, but um, I think, and you're going to get more communication that way. And I think yes. that ultimately my, you know, personally, the belief is that the more commu open communication you have, I think that's going to make the journey a little more, um, I don't want to say easier, because <laughs> I don't know about easier, but let's just say at least you've got the, the lines of communication going, then there's a chance to at least be involved in the processing of your kid's journey, whatever that is. So. Yeah, and those quality moments we were talking about before, right, will come more naturally. Exactly. It's not like a forced Okay, let's go for ice cream. Jeez, I'm 13 now. I don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> well, I do. Maybe I do. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so. We do that all the time. Like it's winter ice cream, even. So, <laughs> oh gosh, wow. Um, I'm curious uh, just to go back to the book for a second. Um, what made you choose to do exactly the, the layout that you did in this book? And, and a little bit about the title as well, because you could have gone many different directions with the title. I'm just, yeah, curious. 
So, so the layout uh, really was to, you know, first of all, I thought it would be a, a nice way to make these decisions very relatable, right? These are decisions that we all make. Um, and also to highlight that reality that these, these cultural forces, these systemic pressures, you know, misinformation, ideology, cognitive biases, fear mongering, they really do impact these decisions big and small. So I think by, you know, mapping it over a day, you can kind of, you can see that reality. The, the other thing is, is it was also an opportunity to have some fun, right? You could talk about these little decisions, like, you know, do I sit on a toilet seat or don't I sit on a toilet seat? And the, you know, the, I, one thing about the book is, you know, I cover a lot of topics is, and I'm not sure if I do this again in a future book, because you have to go as in much research in that short, you know, it's like two paragraphs, you're doing as much research on that one as you are. Uh, but it was, it's also, it was also an opportunity to let people know, you know, there actually is evidence out there on some of this stuff. You know, there people have researched this or thought about it. And so that was the other reason I kind of thought I would, I would map it out, out that way. But, you know, at its core, I wanted to make it very relatable. And, you know, that these, these, these cultural forces that are really, I think, you know, one of the defining characteristics of our time, you know, misinformation and, and the polarized discourse and, and fear mongering, it really, these things that really are defining our time. And, and to get a sense of how they impacted, um, you know, these, these really fundamental decisions and, and invite people to look at them in a different way. And as you know, I try not to be prescriptive in the book. I'm really not trying to say, this is what you should do. It really is an invitation to look at the evidence and to look at the forces that are shaping our decisions. Yeah, that's, that's one of the core things. Whenever I'm saying yes to talking to somebody, I need to know that there's that open door for people because I have such a hard time when you know, there's always somebody else who's saying this is the only way. So, you know, you really, you gave us, uh, you gave us something to work with to kind of be able to go through a process of making a decision literally um, about that topic. And, and because there are so many things in there that you chose that are literally, oh yeah, you know, that's happened to me or I've had that thought and I never took it that far. And you did the research that most of us, as you said, was more, you did a lot of research. Like you have so much fact, uh, you know, bits of factoids in there and, and uh, that we are way too lazy to take the time to do often, or we do it and then we lose hours because we're Googling all the different possibilities. So thank you, you know, again for that. Um, and I, the, the cover has, by the way, you guys, a bunch of different coffees or chais and different, yeah. I'll, I'll I probably copy. It made me think of Sorry, I don't mean to compare you to Starbucks, but it, because I've listened to some interviews with the, uh, you know, the person who I forgot his name, who started a uh, Starbucks, and that that was his in original intention was this that you could be in one place in your day when you're making a decision, you could have something your way. It made me think of that. Not that that was their their title at all, but just because the coffees of, you know, how do you want it? Make you, you know, really going deeper into a simple decision has so many facets and is complicated, and you dove into that and got us thinking a little differently about, you know, toilet seats and, and, and coffee, our lunch break you know, and coffee. Coffee's <laughs> a big theme in the book, as you know, because I yes. love coffee. So I, you know, I didn't pick the cover. Like I didn't, I didn't know this oh. is what it was going to look like. So I was, I was thrilled when I saw <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, I love coffee. At least you're not a tea drinker or something, right? <laughs> yeah, know? I'm not a tea drinker. Go coffee. Uh, and yeah. I thought it really captured the spirit of the book a little bit. And this, you know, there's all these decisions out there and, you know, you should just take the, pick the coffee you want. You know, <laughs> that's what you need to do. Uh, the exactly. coffee is another really good example, though, of how uh, it's often presented to us in a definitive manner, as if there's these this evidence that says, you know, coffee good, coffee bad. When in fact, you know, with so many of these decisions, 
Um, nutrition in particular, it's hard to do good research on it. And so the evidence is usually much more equivocal than, than represented. Uh, coffee is probably not ba bad for you and probably good for you, right? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's everything so, in moderation, yeah, so right? Cups. Like maybe not 16 cups, but. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the research is, as I have highlighted in the book, you know, the, the studies are pretty, we're, we're not talking one a day. You know, some of these studies look at four or five, six cups a day. Hey, drink it, the amount that's right for you. <laughs> I, Am I being I'm too my... defensive? Can you send some coffee? No, <laughs> no I, I will just put out there, by the way, I, I, I used to drink coffee. My, my thing when I left corporate was that I was going to leave coffee. It was just more of a symbolic thing. But my husband, on the other hand, when I met him, was doing eight shots a day of espresso. Like, so, so you know, and it, he's all about the camp. coffee as well. <laughs> Team coffee. <laughs> he's always looking for the, you know, which one tastes better. What's, you know, where's that from? I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so great. <laughs> I'm curious about your creative process. I don't want to get off this call without because I there's so many people out there creating and their parents and there's so many <laughs> complications and and interesting bits in there. But I'm just curious this particular book because you said you I want to later ask you because it sounds like you you know we've got some other um, written works out there we'll talk about. But this particular book, what was your process? And if you want to compare to previous projects, I would be curious. Like, did it take weeks, months, years, and <laughs> what are we talking about? So it, it did take did a very that work long with time. Kids, by the way, what's that? <laughs> and how did that work with the kid yeah. dynamic? It, it, it did take a very long time. Um, now I'm very lucky. I don't know. It sounds like you probably have a lot of writers on stuff. I, I I absolutely love writing. Like I'm not one of those writers who you know it's a painful process and it you know they have writer's block and they really have to think of strategy. I I love writing. Right. So it's, that's unfortunate that way. Cause not everyone's like that, you know, some great writers, some great writers aren't like that. So I don't need tricks to get me to write, but this book was a very, it was a long process. And um, because the research was so intensive uh, behind it and, you know, in my previous books, they also had, you know, I, I, I broke it down on, on topics like this, but it wasn't as many topics. So so my process is I, I try to write um, in the mornings. First thing when I wake up, I, I try to write because I love it. So it's an easy to hop out of bed to do that with my coffee in hand. Um, and I love I um, I love going. You know, this is a horrible writer cliche, but it's true. <laughs> I love I love going to cafes and writing. Um, and uh, I I do travel a ton, so I can actually remember the hip cafe I was sitting at when I wrote a passage which I which I just think is kind of really ties it. me to the piece you know and I travel all over the world so I'm super fortunate I recognize that's a true privilege um but uh so I love doing that right and um I, and at night um you know I'm not a big drinker but I do love having a pint of beer I, I'll go to a you know a hip oh my gosh I missed that so much during the pandemic you know get a pint of Guinness and write I love it I love it so that that is part of my process and the other thing i do is i i love moving between i bet you've had other writers that do this i have a an old typewriter back there if you can see oh it. yeah I see. <laughs> and i also you know i love pens and stuff so i often i will move between mediums and, I, and there's a little bit of evidence to back that up right that it helps you if you're stuck on something to move so that's that's part of it um uh, i you know i write a lot of academic articles and this is you know i i much more enjoy this writing, but it's also more challenging. I think, you know, I think a lot of my academic colleagues who don't do this kind of writing think, oh, it must be, it's more challenging, right? Because 
the right often in, in academic writing, and I don't mean to put it down. I've done a lot of it. Like I have been over almost 400 peer reviewed articles. It's much more, it's a utility, right? You're getting the facts out. Whereas I really view writing, it's an art form, right? And so you want to, uh, which also one of the reasons it's so pleasurable. So uh, yeah, it's a very different process for me when I'm writing, you know, a book or, or, or even an op-ed. I love writing comments for the, I, it's all, that's, I also feel it's almost like a puzzle because you have such little space and you want to get as much information as you can in that space but still make it engaging. I, I love that, love that challenge. So yeah, this is, this is uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate I have academic books, but I also have several books for the general public. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I know that cafe moment you're talking about. And I, I can remember being here, even going to bars and that din of noise actually yes. quieted all the thoughts about all the things you needed to do in your day, whatever. It actually took up, you know, one part of the brain so that you could just let it flow. I'm exactly the same way. <laughs> I, I find the ambient noise um, focuses me. And now, you know, since, yes. since the pandemic, I've been here and I've been very productive as an academic, but I have not been as productive as a writer. Isn't that interesting? You know, I'd have this time at home in my beautiful office, not as productive. Uh, you know, I need that energy for some reason. Interesting. And traveling, I find even better than being, you know, in your home country with your home language, because you can choose to engage and understand a language if you know that language or you can just turn it off and let it be sort of like music in the background, yeah. which is even, so what, what takes you traveling so much is in your work? Is it research or how are you? So I do a lot of, I do a lot of uh, speaking. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, that would probably be maybe now 80% of my travel is for, wow. for giving okay. talks. Um, and I also traveled a lot for, for media. And when I was doing the show, I traveled a, a lot for that. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, layer on top of that, a lot of research travel and, you know, that, you know, your typical kind of academic kind of travel <laughs> stuff, but, um, I yeah, I, I, and I, I love, I love speaking too. So it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice combination. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I'm looking forward to the days when you can explore and, and let that, the, your words flow even, even more, as you said, uh, what was your favorite, do you, do you have a favorite part of the book that you really enjoyed doing and one that was a little more sticky for you? Um, that's a great not question. Not to ask a cliche question, but. <laughs> no, it's not. not that many, no one's asked me that and I have an answer actually. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know, the, one of the, one of the chapters I really enjoyed was we've talked about is the time one. You know, the time, because I, I, I found that very, I learned a lot and I love it when you learn stuff when you're, you know, because some of the other chapters actually touch on some of my academic research, but that was one there I, I really learned a lot. Um, and also this idea of time management or perception of time. I have this chapter on, on um, you know, how we think we're so busy when in reality, it's a lot of it's perception. I found that fascinating. But you know, one I loved was the chapter on ranting. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, I, I had this chapter on 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 ranting and and catharsis and venting. Uh, and I found the re my editor actually made me. I think it's like a third the length that it was because I got so into it. I could have written a whole book on it. Um, it's all a myth, right? It's all a myth, and it's so ingrained in our culture. Um, it's you know on TV shows this idea that you're supposed to let it all out, and if you don't let it out, you're gonna bottle up it's bad for you and, and I just found the history of it you know coming from Freud and even earlier earlier than that and when there's some religious component to it also right I found the whole thing absolutely fascinating 
So I really, I really enjoyed, sorry, you shouldn't have asked that question because I would go on and on. Um, I really found that fascinating. And, and also because there is kind of a definitive a answer. There isn't always that kind of definitive answer. And the de definitive answer is, it's not a good idea. Don't do it. Ranting just makes you more miserable and it makes the world more miserable. And then I don't know if you remember, I have this little short thing after. after. So I have the ranting chapter basically saying, don't do it. And then I have this very short chapter. It's like a paragraph long where I say, you know what you should do? Send a thank you letter, right? Um, you know, the, so you go from this negative energy to this positive, positive energy. And look, I know the, the research around, around the value of thank you letters isn't very robust. I totally accept that. But there is some evidence to suggest it, it, it works. You know, it makes you feel better as the sender and it for sure makes the receiver sound, feel better. And I also like the idea that they say, you know, handwritten notes are better than, but any thank you works. Well, I love that because I, I remember uh, in high school, you know, there were some bullies or something and I went to, back to work to a new job which was in sales and there was a guy there and he said, honey, just kill him with kindness. And so I, I had, I would have girls like screaming at me something across the quad and I'd be like, think of something really nice. It has to be real, you know, and, <laughs> but it did shift the energy for me. It took oh, it three totally years, works. but by the end of the three years, the energy had shifted, you know? So, I mean, maybe it takes three days or three <laughs> minutes, depending on how you're doing it. Probably the thank you letter would have been you know, <laughs> easier. Well, but there, I, I compare, you as you know, the energy. I compare it to fast food in the book, right? Because it does, you know, ranting might make you feel better in the short term, but you always regret it afterwards. Right, exactly. And, and you know, I work in a lot of controversial areas in my academic life, and but also in my in the public sphere around things like vaccines, right? And yeah. I, I get so much hate mail, right? And I actually keep it's it. It's very polarized, isn't it? Oh yeah, you keep yeah. it, okay. <laughs> I do keep it. And I often make montages out of it and, and I send it back out into the world as a joke, right? Um, yeah, it's just, you know, sometimes of course you get, I get pulled into the vortex of, uh, you know, of someone else's rant and you can't stop yourself. And I always try, I, I did it this morning. I had to do it this oh, morning. No. <laughs> I, you know, you just back away from it. There's no point. It's just your psychic energy should be used up elsewhere. Yeah. And you just, you never know what's truly behind it. I don't know if you've ever listened to Pat Flynn, but he shared a moment about how, uh, when he started to get really popular and he had this troll that was just coming at him all the time. And then he wrote him, I, I would say his equivalent of a thank you letter slash, you know, Hey, what's going on in your world? Trying to come at it with grace yeah. after falling into a hole for a couple of weeks and um, <laughs> at the vortex, as you said, and he found out that it wasn't because he hated him. In fact, at all, he actually, <laughs> I think he even maybe admired him. It was just that he wanted the attention. To, he wanted to get people back to his, it was simply about getting things back to his own work because there were so many people looking at him. And I thought, that's just insane. I wouldn't even have considered that as one of the options as to why someone was, you know, oh, throwing right. hate mail at you. It really, and sometimes you're, they're just using you as an excuse to vent about, you know, some other issue that they're, <laughs> you know, so, and the other I'm thing, sorry you had that, by the way. There's very little, oh, I have death threats and, you know, it's oh. terrible. Yeah. There's very little evidence that you're going to change that person's mind too, right? You know, and why bother trying? Right. You know, maybe Don't waste that energy. Use it as an opportunity to talk to other people. That's what I was trying to do, right? So, well, what does the evidence actually say on this? And and not not make it a confrontation with that person. Yes. Anyway. Thank you. And I think that's good advice for for parents and kids as well <laughs> in these moments when people are coming at you. And I think that's being grounded also. I mean, we're all going to have the moments where, of course, it, you know, it's going to affect you. 
but kind of taking a deep breath and, you know, coming into, you know, knowing who you are, that you're not that bad person or whatever it is that they might be making really personal and, you know, being at home with, you know, decisions coming full circle, coming back around to the decisions that you're making, including what you talk about, what you stand behind. And, you know, that takes time and practice. And um, yeah, thanks for putting that out there. And just before we wrap up, because we're coming up on the hour here and I don't want to, you know, keep you from New Year's and whatever is going on. I just, what would be a, a last little tidbit if you were uh, wanting to give a last bit of advice to parents out there making decisions, also creating in their world, what would you throw out there to them? Like as a thought from Timothy. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's do a, a 2020 thought because it has been a remarkable year. I mean, how many adjectives can we use to describe this year? But it really has been the year of, of informational noise, right? So so my, my advice, and I think it's a big theme in the book is, you know, you can ignore that noise. You know, you can walk away from it. There is a, a, a calmer, more evidence-based path forward, usually, not always, but usually. So ignore the noise, you know, and, and just embrace that evidence-based path forward. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any way... No. I want you to tell us, and we're going to put it in the links anyway, where people can find you. Also, touching on that they should go look in, at your other books as well and, um, and how we can support you. Uh, thanks. Thanks for you. I'm on, <laughs> on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter, at Caulfield Tim. On Instagram also, at Caulfield Tim. And, and uh, yeah, I've published a couple of other, uh, other books. That I've, one that called The Vaccination Picture, we, no surprise on vaccination. One of my last ones was called, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? Uh, <laughs> when celebrity uh, culture and science clash. And it really is about some of the things we've talked about, the impact of celebrity culture on how we view the world. And then I also wrote one um, that actually has some similar themes to this one called The Cure for Everything. And that's really about how there is all this health misinformation out there. And we can really just focus on the evidence-based fundamentals. And uh, and again, it, throughout all those books, I try to have some fun. You know, I... I try all the therapies myself. I, you know, for the, the Gwyneth book, I actually tried out for American Idol. And uh, <laughs> so I do things like that just to add a little bit of fun to the book. Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, and I know that my husband's going to be immediately going out there and buying your, your vaccination book because he's in all the groups more for the curiosity of the polarization and, yeah. you know, where people go with it. And, you know, I dip in more of an, uh, in the background. I don't like to engage in the... <laughs> in the controversy, but I'm curious. So that's, um, yeah, there's a lot of things like that right now. So thank you so much for coming and for giving us your time and your thoughts and your humor, especially. And um, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. I had a, a great time. I really appreciate the opportunity and all the best to you and your family in 2021. Thank you. Hey, did you enjoy that as much as I did? I hope so. That was so fun to talk with Tim about life and kids and, uh, you know, making decisions and how important it is to come into yourself. You know, that's my piece is the, you know, right, the, the gut feeling, the intuition, what is your body telling you when you're making a decision? And every day as a parent, as a person on the planet you're making decisions just constantly boom 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 and this book makes it fun to think about how you might make a decision as 
much as, uh, you know, sitting on the public toilet or, you know, ranting, for example. And you, you heard us talking about that. It was fun. And uh, now you've got a little Bible that you can um, come to that has so much uh, science-based, um, fact-based mixed in with, you know, your own story, just empowering you to make the right decisions for you and your family. And inside of that, you might even get a chance to get one of these books. I wanted to make sure that you would have that opportunity. So go to IP underscore parenting to Instagram, uh, or you can write me here at Ariel at imperfectparenting.net. You know, these links are down below in the description, along with everything you need about Timothy Caulfield. And you can jump in and have an opportunity to uh, win one of these books. Yay! Uh, because it's a really fun to read. And if you love coffee, you're going to love the cover. So, all right, guys, have a beautifully imperfect day. Thank you for listening to our Very Imperfect Parenting Podcast. If you'd like a little more like live coaching sessions, then jump into facebook.com backslash IPParents. You can also write me at ariel at imperfectparenting.net or jump on that site for other resources like book reviews and other fun things. If you would just share with one person or let one person know about this podcast, that helps us a lot. As well, we have Patreon with extra privileges and have a beautifully imperfect day. Thank you so much for being out there.